You're listening to Ag Airwaves, conversations with agricultural aviation pilots and operators, experts and innovators who propel our industry. Ag Airwaves is brought to you by Air Tractor and hosted by Graham Lavender of Ag Air Update. You're listening to the Ag Airwaves podcast. I'm Graham Lavender, publisher of Ag Air Update. On this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about mentoring, what it takes to get into the agricultural aviation business. Is it hard? Is it easy? Uh, What's expected? And the best way we figured to do that was to talk to somebody who just completed their first season uh, based in North Carolina. Some of the work they've done has been out in Nebraska on the corn run and some local spraying. I want to introduce uh, Hugh Cundiff. Hugh, uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having us on the podcast. Yep. We also have uh, Mike Rivenbark. Mike is Hugh's mentor. Um, Mike is a pilot operator for Moore's Aerial uh, out of Clinton, North Carolina. Um, some most of you are familiar with Mike, or some of you may be familiar with Mike. Um, he's got a, a good-looking 502 XP that's uh, painted in uh, a unique paint scheme. Um, Mike, how are you doing? And uh, glad to have you on. Hey, I'm doing good this morning. And I'm glad to be here. Yep. Um, so, Hugh, I'll start with you. Uh, give us a little background, man. Uh, how did you get started? And I guess the, the big question is, what drew you to ag aviation? Like, why did you wake up one morning and say, man, I'm going to be an ag pilot? Or this looks cool, or were you already in aviation, or, or give us a little background on that. Yeah, so uh, full disclosure, it was never really gearing my flying career towards ag aviation. Um, I've been around aviation since as long as I can remember. My granddad was a private pilot and grew up with him flying in the Cessna 182 that I own now, and uh, that's kind of just where I got my passion from aviation from, was from him. And got my license, my private license when I was 18 and ended up going to Liberty University, got a degree in commercial corporate aeronautics from there. And my goal was to always go fly for the Navy. Um, Ever since I was a kid, that was that was my mindset was heading towards the military with uh, my passion for aviation. Um. Got involved in the process of of joining up after I finished college and uh, some medical issues kind of kept me from pursuing a flying career in the military. Um, So that kind of put a halt on that. And then a couple years later, I ended up getting uh, connected with Mike through some family friends of mine and sat down and had a conversation with him and ultimately offered me a loader job. And so I came out the following year, that was October of 2019, um, came out and and helped out with the tail end of beans there, uh, the end of 2019, and then started full time with him in 2020, uh, doing the loading stuff. And from the very first time that I came out to the airport and, and saw the operation and, and was able to get hands-on uh, loading, mixing, and just seeing how everything worked, I, I kind of developed a, a newfound passion for the agricultural side of, of aviation. 
And uh, like I said, it was not not something that I had ever geared my flying career towards growing up. I, I even grew up around Wayne Slaughter, who was the 1996 NAAA president and grew up listening to him tell stories and just watching his flying operation there in Farmville, North Carolina. And but it was just never something that I had, I had considered because I'd always wanted to join join the military and fly for the Navy. Um, but like I said, I found a, found a new newly developed passion and, and decided to roll with it. And now I'm just completed my first season, did, uh, did about 60 hours in a, in a weatherly 620 that me and Mike restored from the ground up and then, uh, then hopped in a 402 and I'm currently finishing out the rest of the season on that. So, all right. That's, uh, that's, that's impressive. So let's, let's back up and let's talk about, uh, you've got these aspirations to be this Navy pilot, maybe get some setbacks in that uh, career path. And you find yourself at this operation in North Carolina. And we all know that, uh, Mike's a character. So I know it's, you know, it's, it's a lot to take in initially and, you're loading and mixing and washing windshields and washing airplanes. And what was your mindset? You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of, of banter that goes back and forth of, Oh, you know, I'm a pilot. I, I don't need to get on the ground. I don't need to load, but you know, the three of us talking here know how important that is. Um, because, you know, ag flying is not just flying, it's, it's mm-hmm. applicating and you've got to be an applicator and you have to understand every aspect of this job to be a good ag pilot. So what did you do and how important did you see it to be on the ground and to help with the day-to-day of the operation? And, and how did that prepare you to get in that, that cockpit of that airplane? Well, I think it was, I think it's important to mention that, um, you know, when you get involved in the industry and when you, when you find a mentor or somebody who's going to bring you into the business, I think a big thing that needs to be clear is, uh, communication and and how that process is going to look. And that was, that was very clear with Mike from the beginning. Um, you know, he laid out what the expectations were. Um, what the process would look like. And, and he made it clear that you're going to, you know, you're going to do your time on the ground and that's invaluable for learning as much as you can before you step foot into an airplane. Because like you said, it's not just flying the airplane. It's, it's making good quality applications and, and being safe while you're doing that. Um, so that was, that was very clear from the very beginning that I was going to, I was going to cut my teeth on the, on the ground side of things first. And so when I went in with it, with that expectation, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't difficult to, to fight that mindset of, Oh, I'm a, I'm a pilot. I don't need to, I don't need to be washing windows. I don't need to be mixing chemicals, loading chemicals. You know, I've, I've done my time. I've got my license. I should be in an airplane now. Um, it was, it was easy just to, to go ahead and move past that mindset because like I said, he, he laid it out from the very beginning and the other mentors that I had already been connected with, um, Rick Boardman being one of those out in Nebraska, um, he made it clear as well that that was, that was the expectation and, and that's the best way to learn before you actually move into an airplane. So you're not having, you know, Thing, so many things going on at once while you're doing 150 miles an hour across the ground, five feet from the top of the crop. 
Right. And that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, with any other profession, you know, you can't jump into nursing or anything like that without doing clinical work, without, you know, getting the, the, the nuts and bolts, as I call it, of the career. And, you know, ag aviation is no different. Um, Mike, I'm going to move to you now. Um, and what made you, were you looking for a ground support person or were you looking for a pilot? How did you get involved with Hugh? And tell us something from an operator standpoint, what you expect of a new hire in order to put them in an airplane and to, you know, put, you know, your neck out there with the insurance and all that. What, what kind of is going through your, your mind there and, and what, what are you looking for? Well, when, uh, when I agreed and we'd talked and, uh, I agreed to hire Hugh on, and uh, and we did. I told him a lot about his first year was going to be very dependent on work ethic. So, um, you know, that's I think that's one thing that I look for as an operator, and that a lot of operators do. If you're not able to handle the job while we're loading the airplane, then you're not going to be able to handle the stress once you get in the airplane. Um, so, you know, going back to the, the loading side, everybody thinks that that's the grunt work or, or the initiation phase. It, it is, but there's a reason behind that. And, uh, and then, you know, like you mentioned, you did too, in order to be a good aerial applicator, you've got to know what you're doing, know what you're mixing and have a good understanding. Um, back to your question on, did I need a pilot? Whenever I hired him, um, uh, I needed a an experienced pilot, honestly. And uh, we were able to get an airplane in here to help us. Um, Hugh was running two airplanes that summer, which isn't a whole lot of work, but by himself, it's a whole lot of work. And um, so we um, we did that. He uh, did great through there, and we kind of kept talking as we go. And you know, there's not any better learning curve than sitting around in the afternoon and hearing the stories that happened during the day. Uh, you know, That's right. The bird that we saw, the, the wire that we missed, the uh, something snuck up on us that was unexpected. And, and that, I, I really feel like, you know, that time during the loading, he was also getting all of these stories that have carried with him to the airplane in his second year and his first year finishing up as an ag pilot. Um, right. Here's what's happening in worldwide agricultural aviation. We've got news and tidbits from Agricultural Aviation's best read publications, Ag Air Update. Be sure to subscribe today at agairupdate.com. I'm Graham Lavender with Ag Air Update, and I'm here to recap the latest news in the agricultural aviation industry for November of 2023. First up is a press release from Valley Aircraft. Valley Aircraft has recently purchased Johnson Aircraft Service, both businesses are located in California. Valley Aircraft and Johnson Aircraft Service have both served agricultural aviations at Medford Field in Tulane, California. Valley Aircraft was formed in 1984 and is a well-known resource in California's Central Valley. In 1996, Valley became an air tractor authorized service center and in 2005 became an air tractor dealer. In 2019, Valley Aircraft expanded the air tractor territory beyond California to include Idaho, Montana, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington. Johnson Aircraft Service has served ag aviation and general aviation since the late 1940s. 
most people are familiar with Mr. Dave Johnson and the strong presence he had in California's ag aviation community. Mike Schoenow will oversee the current operations of Johnson Aircraft Service, and Dave will also remain a presence of the company for, for some time, uh, ensuring a smooth transition. In South American news, uh, the Brazilian Senate is going to be holding hearings on the importance of agricultural aviation. There's been some pushbacks with some environmental groups, although Brazilian ag aviation has been around for uh, 40 to 50 years. The Brazilian ag aviation sector has seen phenomenal growth over four to five percent a year. The SINDAG, which is the Brazilian Association, uh, got involved with their national Senate and they're going to be having national hearings and they're going to establish the importance of agricultural aviation in the Brazilian exports. Earlier in November, uh, NAAA emailed a FlySafe message and alerted uh, the industry of an alert it received from the Department of Homeland Security and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They released a public service announcement highlighting potential terrorist threats in the U.S. in response to the ongoing war in the Middle East. Uh, while the FlySafe message uh, quotes in part, while the level of skill required to operate an agricultural aircraft makes it unlikely they would be used, it's a reminder to Remain vigilant at your operation. Make sure you have security cameras, locks. Um, most people do that anyway, but it's a, a good reminder to keep everything locked up and surveilled. And lastly, in September this year, uh, Agger Update uh, unveiled a, a new updated classified website. Um, the only place in the world with a concentration of ag aviation aircraft for sale, for trade, or wanted um, is. It's got an extensive listing, uh, it's technologically advanced. You're able to search, sort, set alerts, uh, compare listings. Uh, check it out at classifieds.agarupdate.com. So, you know, you mentioned work ethic and something that is really unique you know, it's one thing to show up uh, early and stay late and, you know, do what's required for you. But tell everybody listening what Hugh did to take the, worth ethic, the work ethic to a whole nother level. What did you do? What did you and Hugh do during the off season? The many times I'd call you on the phone, I'd say, come meet me here. Let's do this. And you, and, and you would mutter an explicit and say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this project. <laughs> Tell everybody a little bit about, you know, instead of you having to go out and put Hugh directly into an airplane and, and Hugh, you can comment on this as soon as uh, Mike decides to quit talking. But uh, <laughs> what uh, tell us a little bit about that that project before he got that into that seat and before he started flying? What did he do? So we uh, we got a wild hair. It was September the first of last year, twenty twenty two, and um, knew that Hugh was going to be going into the weatherly. Uh, we were planning on it at that time for the whole year this year for twenty three season, and uh, so we decided to. We had to take the wings off to do the inspection on the uh, wing attached brackets on the Weatherly. And uh, we had some engine issues, uh, didn't work out to take it to a mechanic. So we decided that uh, along with my mechanic here in Clinton, we we're going to tear the airplane apart. And uh, 
and put it back together. What a better learning experience than that. So that turned into a, a lot more money than what I really wanted to spend. But it was uh, it was invaluable time that, that he and I got working together one. Uh, and this not going to happen at every operation. And I'm not tearing an airplane apart this winter either. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, and, uh, it's we, time we, to enjoy they, the off season a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> we tore the, uh, tore the airplane down and stripped it and repainted it. And we basically went through every nut, bolt, wire, uh, safety pin, safety wire in, in the airplane and uh, put it back together again uh, through the off season. And, and uh, came out really good. Who showed up for that, and he uh, really demonstrated a work ethic. So that you felt comfortable as an operator, then moving him up the ladder to the next absolutely, step. absolutely. Right. He he had as much of uh, blood, sweat, and tears in that airplane as I did, and as he was moving into it to fly it, uh, felt like he had a, a little bit more respect for the airplane. And uh, I know I I certainly did because it uh, it came out really good for a '96 model Weatherly. Yeah, it looks it looks good. I've seen the pictures of it. Hugh, tell us about that airplane rebuild project. Was that your first year, or that was your first off season as part of the uh, operation there? That was the first winter. Yeah, that was that was finishing up the the first full year that I had worked with Mike, and that was. Um, you know, like Mike said, we had planned to take it up to uh, up to a mechanic to let them do the the wings bar AD, and ended up just doing it all ourselves. And uh, initially, we were just going to do the wings under the supervision of our AMP here, and then we just got more and more into the project and and found some other minor issues that we wanted to correct. And and then you know we just said, screw it, let's just let's just do this thing right and. Like Mike said, there was a, a lot of blood, a lot of sweat, a few cuss words here and there, and a few, right, yeah. right, yeah, we yeah. all believe that, right, <laughs> right. A lot of uh, a lot of phone calls to to different contacts around the country trying to figure out technical issues, and and it was um, it was an awesome learning experience. It was just an awesome experience in general to say, hey, we've got a lot of pride in this airplane that that we did this, and now we're putting it to work and, and using money, uh, using it to make money. And that's the airplane that uh, that Mike initially broke into the industry in. So there's there's a little bit of lineage there. That was uh, that was his first ag airplane that uh, he flew, and and the one that I flew. So a um, lot of lot of pride in that project, and uh, I, I foresee that one staying in our fleet for many many years to come. Yeah, after all of that work, I, I can't see you getting rid of it without a really high price tag. Right. But um, all right, so the the airplane gets done, and and during you know as part of your you know your preparations, I guess over that time period, you and Mike are talking. You, you obviously are going to fly the Weatherly. Uh, you're going to um, where and or how did you prepare yourself? Did, you know, you're obviously a member of your state association, you're a member of the national association, are you going to classes or you, or what else are you doing when you're not mixing another load or, or fixing an airplane or hanging out of the airstrip? What are some key points you could give to some other people wanting to get in? You know, what do they need to do with their time when they're just waiting? Just learn as much as you can to perfect your craft. You know, we're we're offering a, a service to farmers that they're paying very good money for, and and 
you know, we want to give them the, the best application on their crop as possible. And so just using your time wisely to learn as much as you can, you know, when you go to these, when you go to the national convention, it, it might seem like a big party, but there is a lot of good, good classes that you can go and, and sit in on and, and learn a lot of information about, you know, power plants and, and spray technology and just all sorts of things, especially the, the wire course. Um, you know, that's a, that's a huge, um, that's a huge class that you can take that will keep you safe, make you a safer pilot, make you more aware pilot. Um, and just, you know, talking with these experienced applicators out there, there's, there is hundreds of thousands of hours of, of ag pilots out there. And, and you can just learn so much from them of just picking their brain, you writing down, you know, if a question pops into your head, jot it down in your phone, jot it down in a notepad. When you get a chance to talk to some of these experienced guys that have got 20, 30, 40 years in the industry, you know, ask these questions, pick their brains a lot and, and learn from those guys. Um, but yes, just, you know, studying, studying your application books for when you're going to take your um, state pesticide tests. And um, yeah, just, you know, don't, don't be a, don't be a person who sits there and oh, I think I've learned enough. Continuously be a sponge, continuously soak up as much information as you can to, to always work on your craft and, and become the best pilot, the best applicator that you can. That's right. That's, those are solid words right there. Um, so let's talk about your first takeoff in the Weatherly. Mm -hmm. What was going through your mind? Don't tear it up. Don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah don't, don't, don't tear it up because I'm going to hate to have to do this all over. Again. Right. That's right. <laughs> now the Weatherly is a, is a very, it's a very forgiving airplane. It's a very easy airplane to fly. Um, I started my, I started my flight training in a tailwheel. And so having that initial, initial training in a tailwheel airplane, a lot of those lessons that I learned transferred over into the Weatherly, but it's, um, it really is a, a really good airplane to fly. Very stable, very safe, uh, safe, you know, just, just treat it with respect and, and take care of it. And it's going to take care of you. Right. So you went out and got familiar with the airplane and then put some mortar in it. Yep. Yep. Went around and, uh, and just, you know, got comfortable flying the airplane, maneuvering it, um, working on, working on making coordinated safe turns and efficient turns. And then gradually we added, uh, 50 gallons of water. And I flew for probably 10 hours hauling 50 gallons of water, spraying it up and down the runway. And then we'd move it up to 80 gallons and a hundred gallons and 120 gallons, you know, from there on up and just, just getting comfortable with the differences in the weight and, uh, and how the airplane handled. And, um, I sprayed our runway with water probably gosh knows a thousand times. So the runway is, is well watered, but getting that sight picture of, of your height off the ground and, and working with the GPS and uh, just getting comfortable flying low level is that's, that was imperative to, uh, to do before actually putting the airplane to work. All right. And Mike, from an operator's perspective, what was your, like your MO, what, what was your syllabus to get you comfortable um, from, from your standpoint? Well, the number one, anything that we did, we talked about extensively before we even got in the airplane and what to expect. And, uh, you know, like he said, we, we sprayed the runway here uh, a, a thousand times or more. 
And uh, I remember the first time he was getting good with it. He was comfortable with it. And I was like, okay, um, we're going to go over to a field with no water in it. And uh, you, you, you're doing good with your height at the runway. But, you know, this is putting it into perspective. And I remember when we got in the first little field, we don't have big fields around here. They, um, there, it was probably about a 30 acre field or so and trees on five sides. And uh, he, uh, he went and kind of dove in over the trees a little bit and was about 30 feet across the field and came back up. He's like, man, that's tight. I was like, yeah, you're still way high though. And uh, so it was, uh, it was, a. but like I said, even with that, I told him, I said, you work down when you're comfortable. And, and that's what he did. Yeah. Never put a lot of pressure on him and, and never, put him in anything initially uh when he did start flying that he wasn't comfortable with um i would go do it or let one of the more experienced pilots do it but um you know the the biggest thing that i saw uh as he was learning one that first five ten hours that he had in the airplane uh was nerve-wracking for me uh, right just yeah you know, i had a handheld radio out there with him um and could talk to him on it while I watched him the whole time, but it's, it's still, uh, you know, knowing that it's in his hands now, you know, there wasn't anything I could do that I couldn't tell him over the radio. That was it. That's right. Um, so that, that's, that's a lot to it. And that's, that's, you know, big expense on my part. Uh, if something did happen. So we definitely, I felt like he was well prepared whenever he got in the airplane and he did do a great job initially with the airplane and like I said, he goes spray for 30 minutes or just carry water around in it, not even spray it out. Just so he, he learned to turn with the weight. Uh, that's kind of the way that I was taught you uh, back in the day when I learned, um, it, I mean, that's, the that's water, it's it. about that weight that's on it and you leave it on there and learn to turn with it. So, right. So, uh, Hugh, how long, how many seasons did you do in the weatherly? Your, your first se- well, we, we, you know, for in North Carolina, we, we run pretty much from the end of February on blueberries, uh, all the way through October, um, is kind of our season. So we're out in the Midwest, they've got four weeks to do it. We've got about eight months to do it. So we like to consider ourselves, we have at least three or four seasons in a year. Um, but I, I flew the weatherly for probably 60 hours, um, before I transitioned into the 402. And, uh, so I got, I got a lot of, a uh, lot of applications on blueberries, um, fields that we spray seven to 10 times a year. So we're very familiar with the fields. And so Mike, Mike knew a lot of these fields like the back of his hand. And so he could tell me exactly where wires were or obstacles were and some of the more complex fields I didn't spray, but, um, yeah, probably about 60 hours of actual spray in time in the weatherly uh before before i transition all right mike tell us about the transition into the turbine what were you thinking they well like like i said initially we were not planning on him going in a turbine the first year um we spent a lot of money on the weatherly and had it up to you know it was as good as it was going to get and about november december this past year uh this 402 came up for sale and um Rick being my number one mentor as you know, I was coming up through the industry, he and I talked about it and I didn't really need another turbine full time here. He didn't need another turbine in Nebraska full time. And 
uh, we found this 402 and we split it and, uh, and it was with the intentions of moving Q into it. And, um, that's one thing that's changed, uh, in the industry that I see is more and more younger guys, new guys, rookies are starting, uh, to get into turbines quicker. And he was a, a prime uh, example for that. You know, he was very proficient in the weatherly and the, you know, he mentioned the 60 hours of ag time that he had of actual spraying in the weatherly, but he probably had another 50 hours of just hauling water and uh and getting familiar with it so you know right. about 100 hours in the weatherly before we moved him into the the 402 and um so that was uh you know it was it was a lot of things that happened this year with that transition and i wouldn't say that's not going to happen for everybody by any means um i feel like uh you know you you've got to be a strong pilot but you you've got to be confident but if when you get overconfident, that's when it'll kill you quickly. Right. And, um, so Hugh had the mentality of, and I'd, I'd beat it in his brain enough that, you know, that scene will kill you. And, uh, and we moved forward to, to the turbine. We sent him to Nebraska. Um, I had already bought a, a turbine transition class with the university of Nebraska out there. Uh, so he basically flew out to Nebraska commercial, uh, he went and took his Nebraska pesticide license and went and did the turbine transition. And then he went to Rick's to pick up the 402 to bring it back to North Carolina. Yep. That's, I mean, that's phenomenal. That's, that's a, a testament to, uh, his dedication as a upcoming pilot or a pilot by that point. And then your dedication as an operator and mentor wanting to bring somebody into the business. So Hugh, back to you. Tell us about the first season. I was talking to you the other day, and and you were throwing some insane numbers of hours out there um, of how much work you did. And, I mean, you got enough experience this first first time go-round that's it's really admirable. Yeah, so I took – I hauled my first paying load on May 5th of this year. Um, so up until May 5th, I had been just doing training in the weatherly, getting comfortable, getting ready. Um, I was looking at my hours the other day and since May 5th, I've flown right around 550 hours of part 137 ag time since May 5th. And like I said, we're, we're still not done. So that's, uh, that's a good bit of, that's a good bit of flying in the year. But it's, yeah, I uh, would say I would say so. Yeah, yep. it's like I said, it's it's been a really good year. That that transition to the four hundred two was absolutely terrifying. Not gonna lie. <laughs> yep. And how um, was that from from your perspective? You know, uh, I'm assuming you know you went through your your simulator training, your emergency procedures, and then there's a famous you know wing checkout uh, on yep. wing checkout there, and you know at, at some point. You have to say, well, it's just it's all or nothing now. So, right. how, yeah. how did that go for you? the The simulator was great. Um, being able to simulate these emergencies, such as you know, hot start, hung start, etc., um, and being able to the move the switches and, and go through procedures to uh, to correct those issues was definitely invaluable. Um, but the simulator itself is it's not really for flying the airplane. It's not going to prepare you for how the airplane handles. 
um, anything like that. But like I said, going through those motions on your procedures was was invaluable. Um, yeah, the very the very first flight, uh, we we took it over to uh, a small municipal airport that had a little bit longer runway than Rick's, and yeah, that first takeoff, it was man, it, it was wild. But uh, right. a lot a lot more power than the Weatherly. Uh, the biggest thing for me was was the sight picture. Um, you know, the Weatherly's got a big radial engine. The tail sits a little bit lower. So your sight picture versus that um, and in a 402 is a lot different. So I think that was the the hardest thing for me to really get used to when it come came to, to landings and really making good landings and takeoffs was the, the sight picture. Um, the 402 is a lot more responsive on the controls. It's obviously got a lot more power. It's a lot faster. Um, so just the combination of everything was, was a lot to, was a lot to take on, but, um, <clears throat> Mike and, and Rick both briefed me on a lot of the, uh, ins and outs of, of a turbine and it kind of prepared me mentally for that. But, but still your, your first flight when you move into a turbine is, is always nerve wracking. And I think there's probably still indentions in the stick from where I was gripping it so hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> But, uh, but, you know, I, I flew it for probably about 10 to 15 hours out at Rick's before I ferried it back to North Carolina and, and got comfortable with takeoffs and landings and, and going into Rick's short strip. You know, that was, um, that was an experience in and of itself, but I got comfortable because I knew I had to do it for the upcoming season. And, um, and yeah, so I got back to, got back to North Carolina with it. And that's when I started putting some water in the 402 and basically, we started the same process all over again that we did with the Weatherly. Um, right. You started gradually in increasing water and and going out and just working on turns and and feeling the weight differences and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was it was really this. Once I got comfortable flying the airplane, it was the same process as the Weatherly all over again. And um, once I started spraying with it, it was very select fields, so I could you know ease my way into it and and then just kept on rolling from there and, and have had a, a pretty, a pretty good year. Got a lot of good experience flying different fields, different obstacles and, and learning how to navigate those obstacles safely. And so yeah, it was, it was a lot of experience and uh, I'm grateful for that. And I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, Rick and, and Mike and, um, you know, all the other pilots that I've flown with have, have sat down and, and talked with me. And, you know, like Mike said, at the end of the day, sitting around at the table, drinking a beer once everything is done and talking and, and exchanging stories that right there is invaluable learning experience. So. Right. So, uh, in closing, Mike, I'll go back to you. What one piece of advice you can give the, the aspiring ag pilot, what, what would it be? And, and what do they need to, to hold on to? Because, you know, I, Everybody knows it takes a lot. It takes a lot of dedication and a lot of drive. What's one piece of advice that you want them to hold on to? One thing is, uh, you know, I'm looking for the, if I say be here at 6 o'clock and you're here at 5.55 every morning, that's that's going to be your, your number one. You know, um, be on time whenever something is asked, whenever you come in to work, be ready to work, uh, whatever it is. It might be cleaning up the hangar that day. Um, number two, probably the actual, the number one thing is going to be personality. 
Um, Hughes and I's personality meshed really well. Um, he's done great here. He did great in Nebraska with all of the BS that goes on. But um, that's that's number one between your operator and you know coming into do if if you're coming into this industry you know go meet with some some different guys and hang out with a day or two it'll be a day or two of your time you might not get paid for but see if you like the way things are the cleanliness around the uh, their operation how things are run how things are expected to be and uh, and then once you get to that part you know when you get to the ground if you get the opportunity to work for somebody you've got to give it a hundred and ten percent and uh, they're gonna be long days uh, they start out fun at the beginning of the season by the middle of the season uh, you know everybody's kind of ill and grouchy and that's going to tell you you know how things are gonna go the rest of the time how you how you handle that um, and then uh, you know the one thing that I look for and uh, which I feel like I do have in Hugh is going to be the loyalty um, I've spent a lot of my time, a lot of effort, and a lot of my money to teach him to get him to where he is now. Um, this year, and maybe next year, he didn't necessarily make any money for me, but he is learning to do the job the correct way and the safe way, and that time will come. So where the loyalty comes in is you know, three, four, five, six years down the road, however long he does fly for me, hopefully forever. Um, you know, that's that's where things come in and, and you get a, a tighter bond, really. Uh, you know what to expect and um, and just, you know, make sure that you do that. Yeah, that's, that's good. Good way to put that. Hugh, what about you? If you could impart some wisdom on a, a upcoming and aspiring ag pilot, what was one thing you'd tell him? Yeah, I, I would say kind of along the what Mike was saying, you know, find you find you a mentor that you mesh well with. Um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that you guys need to be buddy buddy, but find someone who's going to teach you in the right way, who's going to make sure that you're doing a safe, good job, and and communication is key. You know, every time before we went and, and did something, it was always briefed between Mike and I. Um, so finding someone who's going to lay out the expectations, lay out the plan, um, lay out how they want things done is huge. Communication is key. And don't limit yourself to one mentor. Ha have five, six, ten, however many, however many you want, uh, however many you feel that you need. Um, grab, grab information and grab data from, from numerous amounts of people. Um, but yeah, finding finding an operation that you mesh well in is huge. Uh, I'll, one quick story: the first couple of months that I met Mike, uh, we made the decision to fly my 182 from uh, North Carolina all the way out to the High Sierra fly-in um, there in Nevada, and so <laughs> I spent 43 hours uh, less than two feet away from him in my 182 flying across the country. Um, and so that right there was, uh, was a very cool, unique bonding experience. Yeah. You should uh, be an automatic hire after having to do that. <laughs> Lord. And I can tell you, I think out of that 43 hours, Mike flew maybe 0. 0.1 or 0. 0.2. Um, so that was, uh, that was, a, that was a my autopilot worked great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he was sitting right next to you, wasn't he? <laughs> that's right. That's right. But no, that was a, that was a good experience. And, 
and like I said, just finding an operation that you mesh well in and, and finding a good mentor who's going to lead you in the right direction. That's that's good. Well, guys, I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I know everybody else does. It's a it's a really cool story um, of the airplane rebuild, how you jumped from that right into the turbine and had a very successful first season. Um, so, you know, I wish you many more to come. And I know Mike does, too. He's, he's trying to get his money back. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, all right. Well, you guys have a, a great off season and uh, I'm sure I'll uh, see you at an upcoming meeting or so. Yep. Thanks. Uh, for having yeah, us, uh, yeah. If anybody does have any questions, feel free to reach out via email and uh, I'll, I'll do what I can to answer any questions and I'll have four or five past programs that I will be presenting this coming fall. So if I'm around there, don't be afraid to look me up if you have questions. I'll, I'll yep. be more than happy to answer whatever I can. Uh, Mike and Hugh can both be reached at uh, Mike at Moore'sAerial.com and Hugh at Moore'sAerial.com. Uh, and like they said, they'd be more than happy to any questions. All right, guys, you have a good one, and, and we'll talk to you later. Uh, I'm Graham Lavender, publisher of Ag Air Update, and you're listening to the Ag Airways podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Ag Airwaves. You can subscribe to this podcast with your favorite podcast app. Get a transcript of this episode and listen to others at airtractor.com slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on Ag Airwaves, contact Graham Lavender at agairupdate.com. We'll be back soon with another episode.